All right. Here we go. Quiet. Hello and welcome to the Big Picture Podcast, where we take a look at the latest movie news, the films of today and yesterday, and put them all into some sort of context. Seated across the microphone from me is Film Buff Online Editor-in-Chief Rich Trees. And seated across the microphone from me is Film Buff Online Contributing Editor and remarkably mellow, Natasha Bogutsky. I was going for a robotic. Oh, boy. Did I succeed for a second? Just for a moment, yeah. I tried. <laughs> Did you like the co- head cock? <laughs> <laughs> yes, that works really good on an audio-only medium. I know. I know. Next, we're going to do Man. sight gags. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was worth it. Oh, oh it's been man. a couple of weeks, hasn't it? Weeks? Yeah, I know. It's uh, we, been almost a month, month and a half. It's been most of the summer. Um, we've been Welcome our, back, guys. We yes. were on sabbatical. We were on summer vacation. AKA we were off shooting a movie. Uh, among other things. We had a lot of stuff going on. <laughs> yes, we did. Um, and we'll tell you about our trip to Westworld in just a moment. Um, but, well, thanks for giving it away what we were doing and, early. Well, I mean, if they looked at the uh, title of this episode, it's probably going to be, you know, our trip to Westworld <laughs> as opposed to what we did on our summer vacation. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, point. I but, keep forgetting that people can actually see yeah. what they're listening to before they press the link. And they still press the link. I, I'm an idiot who would probably press the link without fucking looking. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, so uh, I think we wanted to touch on a couple of things before uh, we dive right into um, our examination of uh, the fourth season of Westworld. Like what? Uh, you seem you seem eager to just pounce on something. I don't know. Oh, I, I'm okay. curious to see what you're going to pounce okay. on. For anyone interested what the sound is, that's me clicking my acrylic nails together like in anticipation. Mm-hmm. Like it's a uh, some kind of uh, percussion or rhythmic device. Oh, uh, like Dolly Parton and Patti LaBelle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've seen yes. that video. Anyway, okay. Go ahead. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the films we've seen recently. A uh, Bullet Train was a lot of fun. A lot of fun. And it, you and I have had this talk before about David Leitch. Um, his films recently have been top notch. Just action goodness mm-hmm. um i really really loved this film i thought it was a lot of fun i, I fun it's pure fun it's yeah. action it's it's comedy the dialogue has a musicality to it the story has a lot of twists and turns mm-hmm. Yuki sanada i mean come on what is not to love about this? Yeah, it's a um, lot of fun. He, okay, he's biting Guy Ritchie's style just a little bit, but I, I could deal with it. Atomic Blonde, when he did that, that was mm-hmm. just top notch for me. Very much so. Uh, but like I said, you know, Guy Ritchie's really not using that much of his style right now. Uh, the gentleman was, I think, we talked about being a little bit more sedate visually than. Some of his other things. So I'm fine with, you know, agreed what we and, saw here. Agreed and not agreed. Mm-hmm. I loved that the gentleman kind of went back to a storytelling type that we haven't really seen in his films since, like, Snatch. 
mm-hmm. lock, stock, and two smoking barrels. It went back to kind of his earlier way of storytelling, but then kind of updated it for the modern era. He doesn't need the visuals in order to convey a story. I think when he gets into a habit of storytelling that's kind of forced on him by studios, that's when he takes those visual flares, uh, like we saw in Sherlock Holmes, King Arthur, and Aladdin. <laughs> um, but obviously with Man from Uncle and The Gentleman, mm-hmm. we can see that he's still very much the guy Richie that we know and love from the 90s. True. I mean, I, the amount of times recently where I've said, don't be cunty. Like, I just, <laughs> I, I love that phrase. Like, ah. Uh. Um, but yes, I mean, David Lee, it's just kind of knocking on the, the style door just a little, mm-hmm. but he has enough of his own unique flair to it. Um, that I'm okay with it because he doesn't overuse it. Yeah. Um, another filmmaker who has shown some flair already and some style is um, um, Dan Trachtenberg. And he gave us 10 Cloverfield Lane. And just now, the Predator prequel, Prey, which I don't think you've seen No, yet. I haven't watched haven't, it. I've haven't, heard a lot of good things about it. Is it. I haven't it is good. seen I would, it yet. Um, over I haven't on, had the time. <laughs> over on the Film Scribes podcast uh, that I participate in on occasion as member of the uh, Philadelphia Film Critics Circle. Congratulations about that. I know I haven't actually thanks. had the chance to on oh, air right. give Did you. We, talk, we didn't talk about it. We no. Last, well, it's been a while. It has been a while. <laughs> Yipes. Um, so congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. I guess okay news i've i've been elected into the uh, philadelphia film critic circle it's a great honor for me i'm very very flattered um very you know hopefully it's going to keep me humble um these guys uh and gals who are in the critic circle are really fantastic i've i've known most of them already from going to a lot of screenings and uh so I'm excited to um, hopefully learn Everyone from Everyone likes and... you. Come on. You were going to get in sooner or later. They all respect your work. They all Thank love you. you. Like, it's, it, Yeah. it's Sometimes, though, you know, it's 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 nice to get that recognition, you know, in, in this kind of form. Yes. Um, but... And you fully deserve it. You've worked very hard over the last um, two decades. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, put it like that. No, but um, you have worked incredibly hard and your dedication to this art form of, yes, being a film critic can be an art form, mm-hmm. just like being a theater critic. Um, just ask uh, George Sanders. <laughs> <laughs> nice pull. Nice, nice pull, yes. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, no, I... I, I, I do kind of see it as an art form. Um, there it, it takes a lot to kind mm-hmm. of sit down and to analyze a film uh, on to be unbiased when you sit down and do it um, to be to wanting to be willing to be surprised yeah. by these movies. Um, in, in fact, um, uh, well, I, what I was starting to say is before we tangented off on this was on the um, uh, on the Film Critics Circle podcast called The Film Scribes, yes. which you can find on iTunes. Um, and there's we were... the plug for this episode, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. We were um, we were talking about um, Prey, mm-hmm. and I did the intro for the uh, the review, 
And I wound up saying basically that I thought this is probably the best Predator movie since the first one. And immediately, you are not the first person I've heard say that. Well, a lot of people have said that, but immediately, and this is what I love about him, Dan Tabor, who is a member of the film critic circle and um, also on the podcast frequently, kind of jumped at me and was like, "Don't you dare denigrate uh, Predator Two that way." Predator 2 is the second best Predator movie. This is a really close third. Or, yeah, words to that effect. And we, so we kind of had a little bit of a good-natured back and forth about it. But, yeah, if if you liked Predator, you're probably going to like Prey. If you liked Predator 2, you're still going to like Prey. Um, and it's it's interesting to find out where it falls in each person's individual rankings. I, I would have to everybody... go back and actually watch them all again because I haven't seen Predator, let alone Predators 2, since I was probably about six or seven, somewhere <laughs> around there. It was somewhere between six and eight years old. Mm-hmm. I barely fucking remember them. <laughs> That's okay. And to be honest, um... I, I, I guess I wasn't a fan anyways at the time. And it's mainly because... The 90s for me, the late 80s, early 90s, you were kind of perfumed. Yes, I'm Mm -hmm. using the word perfumed. Kind of in like a chloroform way. Wow. With these over-testosterone action movies Mm -hmm. from stars like Arnold Schwarzenegger, Sylvester Stallone, and Jean-Claude Van Damme, Mm -hmm. and Steven Seagal. And after a while, I mean... As a kid, as a as a, a little girl, I'm sorry. The man with the big biceps is not doing it for me. I don't care how many monsters he battles. Terminator was fantastic. Terminator 2 was even more so. I actually saw T2 before I saw Terminator. Interesting. Um, which, to be honest, T2 is better. Just as a story, as a whole, um, it's a lot better. Yeah, I would go along with that. Yeah. It's kind of the same way that I don't like Top Gun. I didn't I didn't fall for that machismo even as a kid. Mm-hmm. I wanted to see equal sides being able to battle it out. And that's yeah. why I love Sarah Connor as a kid. Okay, that's fair. So representation matters. Yes, it really does. Yes. And the fact here in Prey, we have um, an American Indian actress being our hero. Which is why I actually yeah. really do want to see Prey. Um, unlike the others, mm-hmm. I was... You know, after after Predator 2, well, I think the only time I ever actually saw Predator and I actually remember the scene was, shut up, Aliens versus Predator. Ooh. No, there was a scene where the Predator meets a, a girl, a human girl from the team, and I think they decided to team up together. I vaguely remembered that particular scene, and that was it. And I was like, okay, I'm kind of interested to go back and see the originals. And I never fucking did because I <laughs> don't care enough. That's, that's fair. Um, I mean, the, I think the original two are really good. Um, Predators, which is the third one where, uh, it's, it's a group like of 2010, humans. right? With yeah. Adrian Brody. Yes. Uh, group of humans getting kidnapped and plunked onto a jungle planet where they have to, you know, fend themselves uh you know defend themselves from a predator so basically is, australia yeah um <laughs> and just substitute weird you know, predators for weird scorpions or whatever else they have in australia um <laughs> sorry to our australian no as, no 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 as sad as it is if you want to think about it it's a, like a twisted version of like the aboriginals of the time mm-hmm 
It, yeah. It's like a twisted idea of that. Yeah. The, I mean, mm-hmm. that, that I think still has some things, that movie I think still has some things to offer. It's that, uh, that most recent one, sadly written by and directed by Shane Black, who I thought was going to be able Olivia to- Olivia Munn, right? Yeah, called The Predator. And it's just not good. I almost and, completely and wiped that from my brain. I, I never you. even saw I, it. I think the third act is a hot mess, and it makes me wonder if the um, the studio was interfering with it and was recutting it uh, behind Shane Black's back. Well, it wouldn't be the first time studios no. have interfered. Gee, 20th Century Fox, the home of uh, Josh Trank's <laughs> Fantastic Four, <laughs> going uh, going ahead and res- re-editing something after a filmmaker finished? Perish the thought. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But no, uh, I. Um... But yeah, no. There is um, some other great films that have come out uh, recently that we just haven't had a chance to talk about. Black Phone, which um, was amazing. Yep. I I put that. I think I put that up there four four and a half. I went and saw it with a friend. The entire theater was completely packed, and there was a moment in the third act. And ladies and gentlemen, if you've seen it, you probably know exactly what moment <laughs> I'm talking about where I literally almost jumped out of my chair and my hands pumped up in the air and I went, yes! <laughs> in a very, very quiet theater full of like two, three hundred people, I yelled yes. Nice. And I was like, oh. <laughs> I, I immediately sunk down into my chair like, mm-hmm. I don't exist. I don't exist. That didn't <laughs> um, just happen. <laughs> but also, uh, nope, which was fantastic. Which I still haven't seen. Nope, okay. I'm good. Okay, you need to see it though. It's really <laughs> I've good. I've actually heard it's really good. Yes. Um, Darren uh, went and saw it with a friend, and mm-hmm. they came out and they were like, "I would probably recommend you going to see this." Yes, on a big screen, preferably. It's uh, it's it's interesting, and since you haven't seen it, I don't want to get too much into it. I only want to uh, see it for you know. Michael Winscott. Yes. Or Wincott. That's all. Who's fantastic. And uh, just opening this past weekend, um, as we're recording this, uh, the new Aubrey Blaza film, Emily the Criminal, which I really liked. I have not even heard of that one. Um, Granted, I'm not an Aubrey Plaza fan to begin with. That's true. But um, I, I, ladies and gentlemen, before you decide to shut off the podcast, let me just explain. (laughs) I... Fully respect her as an actress. I think she is really great. I just, there are times I don't get her Daria-style comedy. Oh, no. This is a very serious uh, straight role. Um, Which is rare. And -hmm. I think that's, well, I mean, look at when she did Chucky a couple years ago. That's not exactly in her usual wheelhouse either. Um, Which I hate that that film kind of skated by and then disappeared. That's fair. (laughs) <laughs> um, no, but this film is very much a class conscious um, thriller about uh, a woman who is just struggling to make ends meet and she finds an easy way to make an illegal buck or two and it follows her story from there. And okay, I'm kind of it's, interested. It's very good. It has a like I said, it's very socially conscious. It's dealing with um, people who are struggling today, basically. And the you know vanishing middle class and the economic hard times in this country, and the story makes absolute the film makes absolutely no judgment on her as a character for what she does. You know how sometimes you're watching a movie and, and it's, it's skewed. Like, it's the the lead is doing bad guy stuff, and 
Just to survive? Yeah. And they get punished for it. They get punished for it. Or the film seems to let you know the way it's shot, the way it's put together, that the film itself, the filmmakers themselves, are disapproving of these actions. Mm-hmm. Not here. Not here at all. It's very much like... This is this is her story and it's this very is her reality. Yeah. You don't even have any police officers enter into it until very close to the end. It's only for a moment. And honestly, it's a more of a bit of a feint than anything else. So Okay, okay. Yeah, okay. So it's definitely I wouldn't say you've sold me, but I'll definitely go and take a look at the trailer. Okay. <laughs> okay. That's all I can ask. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it's been a good summer for uh, movies outside of like the big blockbusters, mm-hmm. um, because we're kind of heading into a bit of a drought between now and like October. We're not really getting much. Um, we've got the Aegis Elba thing opening up next week called Which Beast. I will not fucking see because I watched several trailers from that, mm-hmm. and it's f- making me have flashbacks back to a movie when I was a kid that I still have nightmares about to this day called The Ghost in the Darkness. Okay, I've heard of it. uh, You're familiar with it? Yeah. Okay, Michael Douglas, Val Kimmer. Yeah. Yeah, that I I saw it once as a kid and it still gives me nightmares to this day. Beast kind of triggered me when I was watching. Okay, I was like, interesting. I think Uh, I saw that trailer for the first time on the black phone. So so you don't want to go to the screening on Tuesday with me then? Fuck, nope. <laughs> okay. I'm good. Thank you very much. Unless you want to deal with a absolute shaking, blubbery mess two hours down the turnpike on the way back home, I would probably I suggest buy, passing. I was going to say I'll buy Shake Shack afterwards if you want. Uh, it, I wouldn't even be able to eat it. Okay then. Uh, I'll, uh, my hands will be like, <laughs> and. This is when we need to do video because you're missing out on the great hand gesture and reaction they just did. Mm. <laughs> That's two yeah, today. I know. We, we really got to look into doing video at some point, I think. Anyways. Um, so, yeah. So, I just got to look pretty for it. And now, right now, I can get away with that with not. <laughs> See? <laughs> Anyways. Um, let's get to the meat of the episode today. Um, oh, let's talk about Westworld season four, Westworld as a series. We've never talked about it on the show. So I far. know, I know. Um, and I let's start with the series and then go into the season finale okay. because well, you recently just binged yes. the entire at, series at your insistence because you wanted to do. I've Westworld. been insisting on that one for a while. Well, okay, as I've told you, yeah. I've been hesitant about watching the series Mm -hmm. because in high school i saw the original michael crichton film from uh was it 74 yes yul brenner yul brenner richard benjamin um and i really liked it you know it was a thing between me and a couple of friends we had all seen it it had aired on like a local tv station like good you want my copy because i didn't like it really Mm -hmm. uh We've had that talk, too. Yeah, I know. I know. I really liked it. I thought it was a great movie. Um, the script was published in a paperback form, and that was like one of the first, not the first, but one of the first screenplays that I had been able to read. And it had a nice intro from uh, from Crichton about how they, he came up with the idea of the film and how he wrote it and how they directed it and somehow some of the special effects were made and everything. So if you're interested in the original film, try to track down that uh, that book because it's really worthwhile 
And the film was popular enough in 1974. It did well enough that it spawned a sequel called Future World a couple years later that Michael Crichton was not involved in. And it's obvious because it's terrible. And it still somehow was good enough that it kind of spun off a TV series called Beyond Westworld that lasted for about six or seven episodes. It didn't last very long before getting canceled. And that's also not very good. I've only seen like one episode of it somewhere along the way in life, but... I will absolutely admit the original Westworld, watching it now, you can tell at the time period, uh, the time in which it was created, it's ground bear. It's groundbreaking. Oh yeah. There's, there's, um, actual footage in there. That's the first footage in film in a move in a feature that, that, uh, was processed, um, uh, through a computer. Yeah. You some can of tell the stuff of, um, the gunslingers, uh, vision as he's chasing, uh, Richard Benjamin around. I just, I I liked it, but again, uh, and I think you and I have talked about this before where you mentioned it's kind of like also like a buddy road movie. Yeah, it's a road movie with him and um, I keep, I'm totally blanking on the other actor's name. And I think it's a big name, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's not Burt Reynolds. No, 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 no. There's a lot of mustaches in this movie, yes. <laughs> it's also it's also the seventies too. Yeah. So like maybe that's why I'm like <laughs> It's it's um oh Jeepers Kittens and Cats. I'm totally blanking. Don't you mean James Brolin? Yes, that's it. Thank you. Yes, James Brolin is in there um, as the the buddy to Richard Benjamin. And it's kind of like a buddy movie at first. It feels it has that vibe to it at first. And then things go wrong. And I think one of the reasons another reason why I didn't like it is it you were you wanted it to be the buddy movie? No, I hate those kind of movies. Oh, okay. I hate those buddy road movies. And I don't care how many women are in it. That's one of the reasons I haven't watched Thelma and Louise. I just don't <laughs> care enough about buddy road movies. Okay. I never have. I have sat through so many of them and I get bored. There are times with certain types of movies, it's really hard after a while to kind of keep me in the driver's seat. Mm-hmm. No pun intended. Yes. Um <laughs> Like, for example, Life of Pi, The Revenant, 127 Hours. I know that we we get flashbacks here and there to the past and all that, but keeping a character stationary for a long period of time is, if, it, if it's done correctly, mm-hmm. it can be brilliant, but it's hard to keep me as the audience engaged yeah okay i I saw the revenant in the theater and i was blown away by it but i will tell you right now i have not gone back to it and it's not in my collection because i i I will never probably ever watch it again it's just not i may go back to it someday but i i don't have a driving need to right now it's the same with buddy road movies because we're kind of going down this tangential road here really quick i want to ask um for movies where it's just like a person in one location Mm -hmm. have you seen phone booth with uh, Colin Farrell? Yes. <laughs> long time ago. That's I that's barely remember good. it. That's pretty good, though. I think that that's a fun, uh, well-constructed thriller. I, I, I'll have to go back and see it, because I, I think I just, caught just bits and kind pieces of, of it when it was on this, the television. Just kind of going down this road. Now, I'm like, I, I want to watch Phone Booth now. Can I just go home and watch Phone <laughs> Booth and go to work late tomorrow? <laughs> Anyways, um, but original film version of Westworld... Um, I think we can both agree, though, that 
we are definitely it's it's just a rough draft of Jurassic Park, and then oh yeah, Craig definitely takes a look at it and goes, you know what? Set this can robots, be better. How about dinosaurs? And, and and a masterpiece was created. Yes, I think Westworld. Yeah, it is the mm-hmm. blueprint for Jurassic Park, and Jurassic Park definitely would never have existed without Westworld. But the original Westworld is very much kind of caught up in this singular idea, and then. Several years ago, HBO decided, let's have a series of Westworld and delve into ideas that maybe Crichton couldn't see at the time, but we see now. Mm-hmm. Or at least were suggested in, in the original movie. I mean, the original movie is told by from the POV of the guests. Mm-hmm. We very rarely see anything behind the scenes with in any kind of detail outside of just like, you know, a montage of people working on stuff. Mm-hmm. And... So you, it's it, from that point of view, the movie is a thriller. And it's also and, very skewed. It, yeah, it's a, we don't know why it's broken. We're just getting the fuck out of Dodge, almost literally, to um, and and I think to, to uh, you know stay alive. And I think that's why Jurassic Park works better than Westworld is because with Westworld and the hosts, you are dealing with a type of consciousness that is as intelligent as our own. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe even slightly more so. With Jurassic Park, you're dealing with animal instincts. You're mm-hmm. dealing with predators yeah. that don't have that intelligence. And in the film version of Westworld, it's it's not even a, a revolt of consciousness of slaves revolting against their masters or anything. It's just a computer software glitch that causes them to go out of control. It, there, there's never anything deeper explored in that idea. And it's, it's just the thriller escape story. And that that's why I think the original film doesn't really hold up. Not just mm-hmm. as a buddy road movie. It doesn't <laughs> hold up because that that same premise has done been done a million times where, you know, technology glitches and all of a sudden you have mm-hmm. a bloodbath. They never explain why. Yeah, it's it's well, just, yeah, the original it's, is a Frankenstein it, story. And yeah. no, well, we've seen that too. Yeah, Even Terminator, to a certain extent, is the same idea. Yeah, but but also suggested in a Frankenstein story is you know the responsibility of the creator towards his creation is the creation life. You know, is the creator a god because he's created life and things like that, which you see, you know, those kind of themes. In the transplanted show. into the show, especially in that first or second season. Exactly, and that's why I think, Which I think the show for me is just so much yeah. more. Well, that's that's why I think the first two seasons of the show are fantastic. Yeah, um, very philosophical. Yes, uh, I, you know, especially because there it's a long form retelling of the the first movie, mm-hmm. but with a lot of extra layers of theme, of characters, things symbolism, like that. symbolism. Yeah. And that's what I like about it. Well, let's get into okay. your your experiences with the show. Like I <laughs> like I just recently told the audience, you binged the whole damn thing within In about a matter of weeks. Yeah, Oof. you had a rough ride. My brain, my brain is about ready to explode, and uh, like the next. Next week, after, I'm just gonna watch like <laughs> cartoons. After the f- I'm just gonna watch Bugs Bunny. 
not surprised. <laughs> After the first season, I had to take a very long break because, and it was the same mm-hmm. with with West Wing. It was just a case of I need to be in the right mindset to sit down and watch this. It's just so full of themes, so philosophical. Mm-hmm. So, um, what was the word that we used once to describe the movie Annihilation? Um, kind of like an onion. There's a lot of layers to peel. No, no, away. no, no, no. It was one word. Oh. It was. Um, Oh, that's going to bug me. Um, anyway, well, I'll figure it out later and I'll text you. Okay. So, but anyway, this this show is just so high intelligence. Um, what did you get from it? Well, I hmm, I know everybody says the first season's the best, and I disagree. Um, and uh, one of the main reasons is because the dual timeline thing, that's the big twist at the end of the first season that, Mm -hmm. oh, this whole storyline was actually 30 years in the past or whatever, I thought was kind of bullshit. Mm. Mm. I can't say anything yet because we're not there, but keep going. I, I thought it was kind of bullshit because they were basically hiding information from you to try to make you think all of this was going on at the same time. And that's not that's not good narrative storytelling when you're trying to trick your audience and then say, nope, psych, we were just kidding. I, I didn't like that. Now, I like how in the second and in the fourth season, they had some parallel storylines uh, for different timelines. And those worked a lot better, I thought, than, um, than in the first season because in the second and the fourth season, I think they kind of resonated between there was a resonation between the two storylines and the two timelines that were happening and you know thematically they kind of worked together a little bit better than what was going on in that first season that first season was just about tricking the audience and i didn't like that i didn't feel like it was tricking the audience i felt that in the each season is about one particular character it's not so much about like the overall story because we have what 10 6 to 10 main characters mm-hmm. in this um but and it, some of them die and some of them uh hold become on o- yeah become others uh, but here it, it's more a case of each season is either about one or two character stories the first season is all about william it's all about ed harris so having those parallel stories, it, it's not about Dolores. Dolores is just kind of, it's set up. I don't think her story really comes until way later. It, it, she's more of a season two. Yeah. But even so, I wouldn't mm-hmm. even call season two um, her story either. I would call that one Maeve's. Season three, I would call Caleb's. This yeah. uh, the season that we are currently in is a mixture between Charlotte and and Dolores. Yeah. I think this season that we just got done with was Charlotte's. I think next season's all mm-hmm. Dolores. I think it's kind of. I think if there it, is a season five, uh, there will be a season five. Come <laughs> on, this is this is one of HBO's biggest shows. They're not gonna they're not gonna scrap it. Um, particularly when it's doing so freaking well. But no, I would say that those parallel storylines that we had in the first season are all to explain why William is the way that he is. 
And that entire first season is all about him. Kind of keeping with the original film idea of Westworld, we're seeing it from a guest point of view. And he was one of the original two buddies who went to Westworld. It kind of grounds it in the original film and original story um, before we we move on into the series story. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I would go. Season one is all about Ed Harris and, and <laughs> Williams. Season two is Maeve. Season three is Caleb. Season four is Charlotte. Mm-hmm. And the way I'm seeing it, for fuck's sake, Dolores is pretty much the only one left at this point. So <laughs> true. Um, but no, I, I and Bernard I, is I God. S- <laughs> That's how I see it. He's just God through the whole thing. Yes, I see how. Um, the parallel storylines, you know, give us both, you know, two different points in William's life. Mm. I just think that the way they kind of revealed all of that. Oh, the way felt, the reveal was, it was bullshit. Felt, <laughs> felt, yeah, it felt, it was like tricky. And I was like, it soured me on the whole season, you know, and that's just, you know, my reaction. I'm sorry. But <laughs> it was, I was kind of like, I basically was sitting on my couch and went, fuck you, TV show. And... <laughs> Usually people do that when someone dies. Yeah. So I I was a little annoyed, but I stuck with it, you know. And honestly, I really like season two, um, you know, because basically it's dealing with the the rebellion of, of the hosts. Mm-hmm. And there's a reason why they're actually rebelling. And I like that. And characters are discovering that they have abilities they didn't realize they had. Maeve. Yes. And I was like, oh, this is really interesting. And I like how they kind of set it up early in season two where somebody said something like, I think it was the second episode, about how the hosts have that um, low-level interconnectivity when they're in proximity to each other to pass small packets of information. I was like, and then as soon as Maeve started to uh, you know, be able to reprogram hosts nearby i was like oh okay yeah they already set this up i like that i you know i was like Mm -hmm. um because i thought that was a great idea and then we got to shogun world which introduced he is here we come full circle this is what you call a callback ladies and gentlemen (laughs) (laughs) true uh i yeah i really liked um that side trip through Shogun World mm-hmm. uh, because I was starting to get irritated that... With it, Westworld? <laughs> with, not with Westworld, the setting, but the idea of Westworld uh, or Del- the Dallas Park only being Westworld. Mm-hmm. And they hinted a little bit at uh, some other worlds and we weren't seeing anything. You know, in the movie, we have Westworld, Roman World, and Medieval World. So I was like... Didn't we slightly get Medieval... No, we haven't gotten medieval mm-hmm. in in the series. We got I I, I remember medieval from the the film. Yeah. Um. No, with this one so far, we've had Westworld, Shogun World, um, the forties World War Two World, mm-hmm. and now we've had Jazz and pro- a Prohibition World. I was a Prohibition calling it. World, yeah. yeah. Um. I call it Jazz but, World. But Prohibition World was like decades later, and that was yeah. on the mainland. It wasn't in the original Dallas Park. Yeah, which makes sense. Because yeah. I think they didn't they hint that on that in season four as well. Mm-hmm. That now I do want to ask you too. Mm-hmm. Um, in I'm going to jump ahead to season four because we're on like the idea of the park and the locations of the settings and stuff within okay. the park. Obviously, we learned that 
they rebuilt, you know, or kind of rebuilt uh, Prohibition world, the 1920s version of Westworld mm-hmm. uh, as a park on the mainland near the Hoover Dam. Yeah. Okay. Um, seeing as how uh, William seemed to ride a horse from New York City to the Hoover Dam in the space that it took Maeve to fly. No, not Maeve, or, Charlotte. Or yeah. Charlotte, excuse me. To, to fly, fly from New York City, City there? Yeah, in one of those um, vertical takeoff and landing uh, machines. Uh, You're wondering Are we if- looking at a, a mock-up of New York? A park- of New York because otherwise they never actually explained that I always had it in my head that he had a head start in the truck like a very long head start I guess but man it just it didn't feel right to me you the know it question it, is if I'm asking that question I'm kind of distracted from the narrative and I wasn't asking that question because in my head I had already assumed that she had been dead for probably about 24 hours and then how long did it take them to transplant her into the new body um so he had a head start on her okay. even even if it was only about 10 hours I mean how long does it take you to drive from here to Cincinnati eight so even and if it's and it's two to New York, so that's ten hours. That's that would be ten. But even if that's him getting right on Route eighty and going across country. But that's <laughs> George Washington Bridge. But the question is, how long was she laying in that pool? It could have been a day. I don't think it could have been I, too long. Though. I think it was think, long I, enough that most of the humans I think the in the host city would have been down there fairly quickly to unless they were dealing with other issues like for example Uh, how many humans are freaking killing themselves and how many hosts also died in the process mm -hmm. but now now we're just trying to make excuses for it for the thing i think i well to be honest i wasn't there's no there's no there's no evidence one way or another yeah but that's to what this is and because there was no evidence i wasn't asking the question i was along for the ride okay it, I wasn't didn't give nitpicking an it. It, I wasn't trying to nitpick. I'm like, wait a minute. I wasn't saying that you were. I was just yeah. saying I wasn't. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but I will admit, I, I did notice and really liked any time they would return to the beginning of the storyline in Westworld, mm-hmm. of the, the park storyline, uh, that visitors play through in the park. Are you going where I'm going with that? Um. And then when they get to, um, like, even when they go back and it's, like, decimated and stuff like that, you always had certain shots repeating as, you know, people are walking through the town, as they arrive, and there's that big crane shot going up. I did notice that. And then when they get to Prohibition World earlier in this season, you get some of those exact same shots. I mean, they're Mm -hmm. talking about how the storyline has been recycled for for this new attraction, but so are the shots. But all the cinematography is too. You get some of those exact same shots, and I loved that. Well, I love that little attention to detail there. Speaking of attention to detail, one of my favorite parts was the hat, which you know, in the original film, as well as at the opening of the first season, and then here when we get to Prohibition, well. Um, we had that host come through and look at Maeve and Caleb and go, there's only one thing left. And she pushes the doors so you could choose which hat that you wanted. Mm-hmm. 
And I thought that was fucking genius because I was like, okay, that was a nice callback, blah, blah, blah. And Caleb and Maeve both went, well, I'm not really much of a hat person. They just kind of walk past Because they know why. They know why Maeve, they should be putting one Maeve of those hats knows. on. Maeve knows. Yeah, Caleb mm. didn't. Maeve definitely did, but didn't give the game away. And I was just like, oh, that's kind of funny because obviously everyone chooses a damn hat and she's just like, nah, I'm good. It's very quippy. <laughs> it's very Maeve. Yes. And then a few episodes later, Bernard reveals that that's how they get the DNA scans mm-hmm. and the data scans. And I was like, oh my God. I no, was sitting I thought, there and I was I like, thought they mentioned some point earlier than that scene uh, with the hats on the train going to Prohibition World. I thought they mentioned at some point earlier that they were using the hats to do the brain scans of the park visitors. If they did, I completely missed it and didn't catch it. It wasn't until Bernard took Frankie um, into the recycled world there where he was just like, when we started off, we used to use hats and then Charlotte learned from us and then upgraded to the mirrors. And I was like, that's holy shit the fucking hats (laughs) no i i'm reasonably sure that they mentioned that somewhere like in season two uh when they started talking about all the park data and all the visitor data Mm -hmm. and how it was um acquired and compiled I'm, i'm pretty sure it happened in there and that's an interesting thing though that's one of those great themes i really liked in season two was they were talking about um personal data privacy and which, how which, corporations you know basically surveil us now and that was actually um moved over into season three big time mm-hmm. when they introduced um vincent cassell yes as the head of insight um little small tangent that very much plays into westworld while I was looking for recipes for our Westworld dinner tonight, <laughs> I came across um, an article that was written about a couple of people who paid to go to pretty much a Westworld like experience dinner mm-hmm. for the season three premiere. And it started with like they you go in and people would ask you some questions. They would ask if it was okay for you them to do background checks on you and all that. And that was before you went to this party. And then when you got there, it was all about kind of infringement of your personal data. Like people were just coming up to you going, Oh, how's your cat? Oh, wow. And they're like, so that was Wait, the whole what? reason. Yes. Oh. And at one point, someone, <laughs> That's evil. the like bartender it. made this guy, uh, what he called a bloody Manhattan, which is something that the, the client had posted on Twitter that he had just like accidentally made at home. And this was like years ago. Like he, they deep dived back into our social media, personal, you know, stuff. And he had like, he was like, oh, I just added like Bloody Mary mix to like whiskey or something like that. I'm calling it a Bloody Manhattan. And so the bartender was just like, I call this a Bloody Manhattan and pushed it over to him. And he was just like, Oh, that's that's creepy. It's, it's it was so messed up. I was reading this article, going, "This is either fucking genius or it is so creepy that just our information is out there." I was reading it, going, "I just go ahead and delete everything I have," because I was like, <laughs> "It freaked me out." 
reading it. And it must have freaked out every single person there. But that was kind of the point of season three was that Mm -hmm. just our social media presence and where we fall into kind of dictates the life that we are going to lead that has been forced on us. And in season three, it was very much that the, the humans are no more free than the hosts are in their own world. True. I, I liked season three's themes. Mm-hmm. I thought some of the storytelling was maybe a little sloppy. I was going to say and the execution the pace, was kind of... pacing was eh. And I'm not sure if that was COVID related or not. Uh, no, it was pre-COVID. Oh, was it pre-COVID? Yeah, okay. because it actually screened while I was in North Carolina during COVID. Okay. Uh, um, <laughs> so it was, yeah, it was a uh, very much shot prior to it. I have to admit, the fight scenes between Dolores and Maeve are fucking badass. And I sat through every single episode hoping for more of that. <laughs> Anytime <laughs> Maeve pulled out her samurai sword, I'm like, let's do this. <laughs> I did like how the themes of season three, though, at least examined the ideas of social media and how companies surveil us in terms of how they're going to market to us mm-hmm. and not just market, but completely mm-hmm. alter our lives, who we marry, what kind of tax bracket we're forever going to have ourselves in because mm-hmm. we can't get a better job. It's like, but, but I thought though, that the idea of Vincent Casal's character is like, aha, I've created this computer that will calculate what everybody's going to be like and yeah. who needs to die. And da, 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 da. I was like, this feels a little like a James Bond villain plot. It, it it did feel very kind of James Bond. I to be honest, I love Vincent Cassell so much as an actor that I was willing to forgive it just because <laughs> they got fucking Vincent Cassell and that man deserves mm-hmm. all the recognition in the world. But the story, oh yeah, his yeah. writing was a little it, it is a little off. Mm-hmm. Um, but for this new season, very nihilistic. This new season? Yeah. Oh, hell yeah. I mean, given this ending, I'm like, you know, I was kind of depressed earlier today, but yikes. (laughs) It kind of had me like in fight club mode. This this makes me feel like I'm up with people after this ending. You know, with, yep, everybody's going to (laughs) die. Maybe in a couple of days, maybe in a few weeks, no longer than a couple of years. It it was very interesting, the idea of this transcendence, that this beauty around us is temporary and therefore is not beautiful because it is. Okay, I have a couple of questions, though. Um, Among the hosts, there was the idea that if they do, you know, after a while, they can go through this process called transcendence. Mm -hmm. Was that basically like Carousel and Logan's Run? I've never seen Logan's Run. You know that. Where basically it's like, oh, you transcend to a higher state of being, uh, which is really bullshit, and they just, like, are dead. I always thought the transcendence was pretty much her moving people into the sublime. She kept the sublime open. Okay. Okay. And that gets me to my other point, uh, other question really about is about the sublime. Okay. It's basically, it's a cyberspace. Pretty much. Yeah. Uh, that's, you know, terraformed, you know, by the various artificial intelligence that enter into it mm-hmm. and they create their own reality around them. As we saw, it needs a very large server farm, and it needs some attending to. What's going to happen to this space? Because it still has to have these physical things that create it. So if everybody dies and there's nobody to kind of upkeep the machinery, if something breaks and the, the cooling system, uh, 
you know, fails. Like we saw William trying to purposely shut down the cooling system to have the whole thing overheat and melt down and be destroyed. What's going to happen there? They still need people to come in and out of the sublime to I have an answer to, to that. fix that. We haven't seen that really. I mean, we've seen the the. Um, but I have an answer to the that. host uh, robots going back and forth. But go ahead, go ahead. What's your answer? Charlotte said there's a door on either side. She said Dolores up there purposely to test the people who are going to come back into this world. You think that's where season five? I think go? that's where we're going with that. Okay, I, th- I think you know at least yeah we'll. See She's going to test who's worthy to create our new reality, our new world, the new in, outside world, yes. not in the sublime. Okay. Exactly. That's... She's gonna. She's going to be able to test who is worthy enough to come through and be a part of this world that isn't going to try to destroy it, mm-hmm. and those who are out for their selfish intentions. That's still setting people up to be gods, though. It is only if she stays. Mm-hmm. If she stays in the sublime, then she is a god of that reality. But it puts her on one side of the door, pretty much saying, I am not worthy to come back myself. I mean, it'll be interesting to see how that will play out. Um, but that's my theory. eight to ten hours. <laughs> Uh, as well as actually putting some drama and some action. Well, and, Teddy's, and about Teddy's four, out there somewhere. Yeah, and about 14 gunfights per episode because you need about 14 gunfights per episode because this show has an incredibly high body count. I think that's fine. I think that's going to be a part of it because she, as we, we know, William. I think it was William who mentioned that um, – you know, the hosts are just as flawed as their creators, which means the people he was trying to kill the sublime as well, because he mm-hmm. thinks that there is because we were cre- they were created by humans in their own world. What are they going to do but create a mirror of the one that they knew, mm-hmm. which is going to be just as sexual, just as violent, because they still have some human emotions there and human needs and desires. It doesn't matter what plane you're in and what cyberspace it is you're still going to have that kind of connection. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And so I think she, we're still going to get those gunfights and all that because there are going to be hosts who were transcended to this new reality who never kind of left that behind. Mm-hmm. Where, and that's where she comes in of being able to judge. Yes, it sets her up as a god. But like I said, if she remains in the sublime, she calls herself not being worthy of the new Eden pretty much mm-hmm. herself. Okay. She keeps her she keeps herself as a god separated from the rest of the new humanity. Mm-hmm. Okay. And while we are waiting for uh, HBO to <laughs> announce officially there's going to be a season five, <laughs> these are wonderful questions and things to ponder about. Um, so. Yes. First off, Ariana DeBois, I think, got gypped this season. <laughs> Miss Oscar winner over here got foiled into a subplot that we will never freaking see ever again. Mm. Um, Teddy, very happy to see him back. Okay. Uh, who else is left? Bernard is dead. Maeve is dead. Charlotte's dead. Was Bernard's pearl destroyed, though? 
No, it wasn't. I mean, technically, they could pop him into the sublime and maybe that we, even... Oh, no. You know, even no, William him. shot him in the head. That was the third bullet. Okay. Mm. <sighs> Caleb's gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see how they go forward. I think... What was the uh, Native American's name? Oh, Jeepers. Um... I, he's yeah. definitely going to play a bigger role. I would hope so. Because he's from pretty much him, like the leader of the sublime. Yeah. We only saw him like a couple of times in season four, but it was made very clear that he was Bernard's uh, main connection, main person to talk to in there. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure we'll be seeing more of him. I'm really excited. I I know that when I first started off with this show, it was just one of those things I had to be in the right mood for. But once I got into season two, it was I was in for the long haul, and mm-hmm. I can't wait to see what they do next. Oh, By the way, the flies freaked me out this oh, season. Oh. It was very <laughs> Wrath of Connie, and I was every time it, something like that happened, I was like. Not watching this pillow up in front of my face. Yeah, no, I I don't blame you there. That's, you know, uh, stuff crawling under people's eyes and into their ears does tend to invoke a fairly um, visceral reaction <laughs> from people. One final question before we sign off for sure. the night. The outliers. If we have a door opening from the sublime to let, you know, hosts in, will they may be met with a violence from the outliers what do you think do the outliers even know about the sublime it doesn't seem like they do i can't really think of any way that they have found out that we have been shown true i I don't think they know anything about it but sooner or later they're going to catch on to well there's a lot more people in this world than uh there ought to be because you know everyone killed each other (laughs) so um will it just restart the cycle or do you think think at this point they might be looking for hope i think that might be one of the narrative engines of a season five if they go with a fifth season i mean technically that show could have the show could have ended on at season two Mm -hmm. and i would have been fine with it you know leave some questions dangling and stuff which is fine um and if it wasn't for your insistence that we do season four's finale for, for one of our episodes, I probably would have just bailed midway through season three because I was not enjoying season three. But, you know, I'm still on board overall with the series that, yep, season five rolls around. I'll be there. We'll, <laughs> we'll order in some pizza that uh, opening night and, hey. and hang out and watch that. But I think that pretty much wraps us up for this week. Remember, you can find all four seasons of Westworld, available right now on HBO Max. Remember, you can find us online at bigpicturepod.com, and we are now available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. So either use the link in the show notes post or head directly there, search and hit subscribe. And if you like what you're hearing, please leave a positive review because that always helps us connect with new listeners. We'll be back next time with some more news, reviews, and just general chit-chat about movies. (laughs) (laughs) And that's all right here on the Big Picture Podcast. When I was just a little girl, I asked my mother, what will I be? Will I be pretty? Will I be rich? Here's what she said to me. Que sera, 
Será, será, what will be.